0: Okay, Amen. Great text. I love uh, the book of First Peter. This morning we'll be in chapter three, verse seven. So I pray that your hearts are prepared with singing and praising and praying to the Lord. Um, and now we're ready to receive the Word of God as it truly is His divine, inspired, authoritative Word for us today. So let's let's uh, pray, ask God's blessing upon the text, and then we'll just do a short review as we catch up to verse seven. Father in heaven, we are so grateful for your word. It is life. It is truth. It is sweeter than the greatest of foods. It is more valuable than the richest of gold and silver mines on this earth. You have given us such a treasure with your word. And I thank you that you understand the family and government and society and and you have called us as believers in Jesus Christ to respond a certain way to each of these institutions. And we are So grateful that not only have you given us the command, but you've given us the power to obey. And I pray that this morning the Holy Spirit will take this inspired word and unpack it in our minds and hearts and then give us the power and the desire to obey, to see in our families a place of refuge, a place of hope and strength and godliness, that we would have built upon a a proper foundation and we will have put up walls spiritual walls that will protect and guard and, and give a place where Christ will be glorified and made known to this world. So we're grateful for our homes, and we're grateful also, Father, for our church. And please continue your work of grace through the Word of God today. In Jesus' name, amen. All right, well, you have your Bibles open here to First Peter chapter 3. Of course, Peter's writing to strangers and pilgrims different groups of people that were scattered out of the Roman Empire into this northern part of Asia Minor, probably a strange culture, strange language, a lot of uh, pagan worship, and they need to be identified as Christians receiving whatever persecution the world may receive, and they need to do so confidently, without fear. And so Peter is giving them, in the beginning, their whole identity in Christ, all the blessings that flow out of the new birth. Aren't you grateful for the new birth? That out of this abundant mercy, through the resurrection of Jesus, we are born again by faith. And we get an inheritance, a glorified body that is reserved in heaven, and it does not fade away. And there's nothing that will stop me being glorified. That the day I die, I will be with my Savior in heaven, absent from the body, present with the Lord. And at the rapture, my body, if it's in the grave, will come out in body form. If I'm alive at the time of the rapture, I'll be instantly transformed. Glory after glory taking place for us as believers. So we have great hope. What's one of our responses to it? Our mind frame. We need to be thinking like pilgrims. No, not Thanksgiving pilgrims, but I'm talking we are thinking like pilgrims, like we are going through this life where people have made their home and pleasure down here, but our home and pleasures in heaven. We need to have, remember this, we need to have a girded mind. Gird up all the distractions, those loose ends, and bring them under conformity to Christ. We need to have pure minds, that we might be as holy as God is holy. We need to have reverent mind, a reverent mind, the idea of keeping God's position and authority in front of us at all times, so that we, the very thought of disobeying and displeasing him would bring dread upon my soul. That's a reverent mind. We need to have a loving mind, stretched out fervent love for one another. And then he goes on into chapter 2 about how we're living stones and a living temple, doing spiritual sacrifices, a chosen people, a royal priesthood, proclaiming his praises to this dark and corrupt world, just one thing after another. Now, he says, and I think the hinge and the key verse here is chapter 2, verse 11. Beloved, I beg you, as, as sojourners and pilgrims, abstain from fleshly lusts which war against the soul, having your conduct honorable among the Gentiles." That when they speak against you as evildoers, they may by your good works, which they observe, glorify God in the day of visitation. We need to lead, need to lead such exemplary, godly lives that the unsaved world has nothing to attach to us for blame and guilt and shame. Not that we're ever going to live perfectly, but under the grace of God, we're growing in, in sanctification, growing in holiness. But our testimony matters. Your response to the government matters. The key word is submit. This idea of submit, hupatasso to place yourself under a military ranking officer is a difficult one for us because we don't by nature want to submit. But if if there's no submission in society, there's chaos, anarchy, riots, burning, lootings, all sorts of lawlessness. But you bring submission to the authorities, police officers and governing officials, even when they're wrong, we still submit to the organization that God has established then we get a measure of peace and stability in society. So he deals with submitting to government. Then he talks about servants to masters, kind of almost submission in the workplace. If we don't submit to our bosses, to our employers, what, what chaos in the workplace? Would you please do this particular job? And the employee says, no, I want to do my own thing today. It's my own. I'm, it's me today. I want to do what I want to do, and I'll get it done when I want to get it done. What kind of workplace would that be? You need to have submission, servants to masters, and then we see wives to husbands, and now we're going to deal with husbands this morning. How should wives submit to husbands? Well, three ways. First of all, with an attitude, with the proper attitude. One that is saying, I'm going to live godly, even with an ungodly husband, because it brings honor to the Lord, for the Lord's name and for his sake. And by living in such a Beautiful, godly way. You can even win an unsaved husband to Jesus without saying a word. You, you've already preached the gospel. You've already explained the gospel, but you're backing it up with the proper attitude and actions. That unsaved husband could place his faith in Jesus, or maybe an ungodly husband could really come into conformity to Christ. So it's a, it's a wife's or a woman's attitude. It's her actions that play a huge part. And then we get some examples of Abraham and Sarah. That was all last Sunday night. Now, for the husbands, you get this morning, one verse. Why one verse for the husbands and six for the wives? D- <laughs> That's coming up. Did you read my notes? No, we didn't even talk about this, but I did keep track this week to see how much of my notes actually are true in our relationship, and they are right on. We'll see if they are for you all as families. But no, why, why, six, why six verses for the wives? Here, I, I think because in Peter's day, with the women having really no rights and no standing on their own, coming from the authority of the father who could kill them without recompense and now being transferred to a husband who could just be an absolute tyrant, the wives had a much more difficult situation to live in. So they get a lot more encouragement and help and strength here from God. Now, husbands, I titled this Building a Godly Home. Actually, I'm a terrible construction person. I... I uh, I I measure once and cut twice, which is never good in the construction field. You should always measure twice and cut once, but I'm not talking about building a physical home for your families. I'm talking about building these homes that are safe from the threat and the ugliness of the world. Homes where Jesus Christ is prominent and preeminent. And what I'm going to do is give you the, the foundation. I'm going to give you four walls out of this text. Four walls and a roof. So you're going to get four points, five points really four points on a roof, okay? So I think we can all follow along with this, don't you? What's the foundation? Listen, whatever I'm about to tell you cannot take place until you know that Jesus loves you. 2,000 years ago, Jesus died on the cross. He paid the sins of man in his own body on the tree. And then after having paid the penalty of our sin, he gave up his breath, he gave up his spirit, he was buried for three days and rose from the dead. That is called the good news. We place our faith in Jesus Christ. He gives us a new nature. He puts his own Holy Spirit, the third person of the Godhead, if you want to refer to him that way, but God himself in the person of the Holy Spirit dwelling in us to empower us and give us understanding. He gives us all that we need for a life of godliness in eternity. If we place our faith in Jesus alone, apart from good works, good deeds, religion, religious rituals, if you add any of those things to what Jesus did on the cross, you ruin the whole gift and you don't get anything except punishment and death. So it's, it's good news because when we place our faith in Jesus Christ, we recognize we're sinners, we cannot earn or deserve favor with God. It's got to be given to us through Jesus Christ. That's the foundation that all of this rests upon so, and you'll hear more about this as we go. Let's talk about the four walls. What's the first wall? Look at this. 1 Peter three seven says, "Husbands, likewise." You already heard Jared read it, so I won't read the entire verse. But I'm just going to talk about husbands, likewise, in the same manner. So, men, husbands, and by the way, if you're not married yet, you might be in the future, or you might never be married. You might be. with the gift of singleness, and that's fine, but we can still take application, regardless of whether you're male or female. We can all learn something from this text, but here it is. Husbands, you men who are married, likewise, in the same manner. In the same manner as what? In the same manner as citizens to the government, submit. In the same manner as slaves to master, bring yourself unto submission. In the same way in a similar manner as wives submitting to their husbands. Husbands, you need to submit in a similar fashion to your wives. It won't look the same because husbands are the head of the house. But there's a mutual submission. So my first point is, my first wall is husbands' um, submission is mutual. It has to go both ways. Take your Bibles, go back, and we'll take a quick peek at this. Ephesians 5. Such a familiar text about marriage. Ephesians 5. Often when we talk about marriage in the Bible, we go to Ephesians 5 and we start at verse 22. Wives, submit to your husbands. And it's, it sounds harsh and it's right in your face, isn't it? And then it's husbands, love your wives as Christ will love the church. But I think we do an injustice to, to, the, to the to the word of God if we start in verse 22. Because everything in the Bible is in context. And the context of chapter 5 is walking in love. Having your manner of life be exemplified by love he talks about walking circumspectly, not filled with alcohol, not drunk with wine, and with, which is dissipation, but be filled with the Holy Spirit. So the context is walking in love circumspectly under the power and influence of the Holy Spirit. There's going to be some results. If you, if you are filled with the Holy Spirit, verse 19, Ephesians 5, you will speak to one another in psalms and hymns and spiritual songs. That's one of the outflows of being filled with the Holy Spirit. The second one is verse 20, giving thanks always for all things to God the Father. So there'll be a a thankful heart continually if you're filled with the Spirit. You're grumbling, you're murmuring, you're complaining, you're not filled with the Spirit. You're not singing and making melody in your heart to the Lord, you're not filled with the Spirit. Verse 21, look at what this says, submitting, what? Submitting to one another in the fear of the Lord. That is an outflow of walking circumspectly, being filled with the Spirit. We are submitting one to another. And then Paul says, here's how it happens. Here's how it looks like. Wives, submit to your husbands as the church submits to Christ. Husbands, love your wives. And then he's going to talk about children, obey your parents. Servants, obey your masters. That's what submission to one another looks like. It's mutual. Look over chapter 5, same text, verse 25. What does a husband's submission look like? Husbands love your wives just as Christ also loved the church and gave himself for her. That is what submission for a husband looks like, where you are the greatest act of submission is being willing to die for your wife now I honestly don 't think it, that very many of us are going to have to get a, take a bullet before it strikes your wife, like I jump in and the bullet hits me instead of Melissa there I just gave my life for her. Or a truck is coming down the road and I push her out of the way and then I get hit by the truck. That could happen, but I I think that's going to be a rare occurrence. Do you want to know how I think I could show my dying for Melissa all the time? It is why when I die to myself, when I relinquish my rights, my preferences, my way, my time, my possessions, and I place her first. Now that is husbands. What I'm asking you to do is stop being selfish. Stop being selfish with your time, your energy, your plans, your preferences, your desires, your hobbies, your sports, and put her first. Like Christ loved the church. He set aside all of his rights and privileges, although he lost none of his deity, but he humbled himself and served us and died on the cross for us. So you know what? My time as a married man is not my own. I, if I was a single man, man, my time is my own. I can do whatever I want to serve the Lord. Go to whatever field I want. Do whatever I want. Stay up all night. Preach the gospel. But I'm a married man. My time now is in deference to my wife. So now I'm submitting my, you know, is, I'm not losing my headship and I'm not losing my leadership or accountability. I'm simply dying to myself, my flesh, my desires and placing her interests above mine. Do you know what kind of wall that is in a, in a home? If that's in place, it's beautiful. It's beautiful. Then my wife's not embittered. She's not tired. She's not critical. She's not angry. She's sweet. Because my position as a husband has been right on that wall. He goes on to say this in verse 26 quickly, that he might sanctify and cleanse her with the washing of water by the word, that he might present her to himself, a glorious church, not having spot or wrinkle. Listen, men, if you don't submit with mutual submission to your wife, if you don't in a likewise manner serve your wife like Christ served the church, listen, when I, when Melissa dies and she stands before Jesus, because it's going to happen. She's, she's either going to die and go see Jesus or she'll get raptured and see Jesus. But when Melissa stands before Jesus, I want her loaded with rewards. I want her to stand before the Lord as a, as, a, as a bride without spot, without wrinkle, loaded with rewards. And how I die to myself and my agenda and my rights and my passions and place her first will make a difference in that. I could treat Melissa in such a way that she stands before Jesus and Jesus says, sorry, Melissa, I can't give you a full reward. You could have had a full reward, but your husband was such an idiot. He was was so bad, and don't worry, I'll take care of him, he's next in line. You know, that type of thing. (laughs) Do you know what I'm saying? Now, if you think submission mutually is not right, I think it is in this text. That's how husbands submit. Think about, does this illustration help? Picture a man driving his car in the country. He's going down a country road, and he comes to a one-lane bridge, and the sign at the one-lane bridge says, YIELD. So he comes to a slow stop, and he looks, and there's no car coming, so he goes and and goes on the one-lane bridge, gets across, does his business. Later on that afternoon, he's taking the same way home, and on the return way, he comes to the same bridge, and on that side of the bridge, he sees a sign, and what does the sign say? Yield. And he thinks, but didn't I have to yield when I was going the one direction? Now I'm, telling, now I'm being told to yield a second direction, so he looks carefully, no car coming. He goes across the bridge and gets safely home. Can you imagine if there was only a one yield sign? Man, if you didn't have a yield sign and there's a car on the bridge, just go, gun it. You don't have to yield. There's no sign. And then what do you get? A head-on collision, you get a crash and a catastrophe. And if you get a husband and wife and there's no mutual submission... There's going to be head-on collisions. There's going to be catastrophe and parts all over the house. Literally. Families destroyed. Children destroyed. G- grandchildren destroyed. It's a mess. A hard heart, a selfish heart is so against submission, it just ruins and destroys. So the first, the first wall, husbands likewise. Well, let's take a look at the second wall. 1 Peter chapter 3. Verse 7, husbands, in the same manner as in the government, as in servanthood, and as in wives, in the same manner, here it is. Dwell with them with understanding. Dwell, live, abide with them with understanding. Make your home under the same roof, spending all your time, but do it with understanding. So, number two, the second wall is understanding. Understanding is an essential wall. You've got submission, Mutual submission. You've got understanding. Huh. Understanding is just so vital. What should you understand? I think you should first of all understand the importance of marriage. Right? Marriage is not like a it's not like an Eagle Scout meeting. It's not like a club. It's not like a bowling tournament. Marriage is a whole different thing. Whatever your view of marriage is, I can tell you right now, it is not high enough. Whatever you think your marriage is, you don't think it is as great as it really is needs to be in the eyes of God. God considers marriage to be, front and foremost, the most grand and glorious thing in humankind, in mankind. The purpose of marriage, you need to understand, You know what, let me tell you what your purpose is. Your purpose is to mirror the gospel, to image the gospel to this dark world. They, they're going to look at your, the world is going to look at your marriage and I want them to see how Jesus Christ loves us so much he died for us, and then how the church responds with obedience and respect to her head. That's what I want people to see in our marriages. You've heard me, you've been at a, a few of the marriage ceremonies I've done. I love this illustration. Do you know what Salvador Mundi is? It's right here. Salvador Mundi is a, uh, I have a picture of, of it. It's a Leonardo da Vinci painting back from the 1500s right here. This is a picture of Leonardo of. Uh, Salvador Mundi, which means savior of the world. Hmm. That's the picture. Now, from, get this, from 1763 to the year 1900, this picture, this painting, had disappeared from the face of the earth. The savior of the world was unseen. It it was found in 1900 by Sir Charles Robinson. Everybody thought it was a fake because the face of Jesus had been actually painted over by somebody in those intervening intervening years. And get this, in the 1950s, it was at an auction and somebody bought it for $57 in the 1950s. In 2017, that painting sold for $450 million. Quite a markup. Right? Salvador Mundi. Well... Right when it was discovered, um, right in these last few years, they wanted to bring it on a big worldwide tour so people could see this great newfound picture painting of, from Leonardo da Vinci, of the savior of the world. Guess how many people in the world have, have seen it? 27,000. It only made its way around to 27,000 people to see this picture in real life. And it's disappeared. Nobody knows where it is right now. Nobody knows where it is. They think it's in Abu Dhabi. They, they don't know where it is. It's literally hidden from the whole world. Can you imagine you have a picture of the savior of the world and only 27,000 out of seven plus billion have seen it? That is many marriages. I would say most marriages are, hid, are hiding the gospel. They're not living out the gospel and they're not showing the gospel. They're not showing the deep love of a husband to a wife and a wife's response of respect to her husband. No, they see a world's marriage, and that is not the image of the gospel. And so we are literally, if if we are not understanding our purpose of marriage, then we have lost this great platform for sharing the gospel. But I think we also need to understand what's the role of husband and wife. Like, what should I do as as a husband of the home? What am I responsible for? What am I accountable to for the to the Lord. Melissa needs to know what does a wife need to do in a marriage relationship as she stands before the Lord. These are things we need to understand, but I think most of all in the text, husbands, likewise, dwell with your wives with understanding. I think what God wants us to understand above all is, our, is who our wives really are. When Melissa and I got married some 21 years ago or so, um, I thought I knew her. I knew nothing about her. I knew what she looked like, and I knew a few of her favorite foods and a favorite color and good and favorite music. But that was about all I know. Since then, listen, um, I've been working on two degrees. I I had that one-year Bible degree from faith, and after 25 years, I did finally get it. So I I actually earned that certificate. But there was a more important degree than that even. It's the doctorate in Melissaism. It, I want to I earn a doctorate in, in studying Melissa and getting to know everything about her. What makes her happy? What makes her sad? Um, what drains her? What builds her up? Not just what's her favorite food. Who is, who is she? Like What brings her great joy? What brings her deep sorrow? And I need to study that. And when I understand her, then I can truly love her. But I can never love her fully until I understand her appropriately. Until I understand her rightly. So, you know what wives are in Genesis? God created for Adam a helpmate who is comparable to him. That's the phrase. A helpmate comparable to him. Melissa is different than me in almost every single way. And I'm glad for it because if we were the same, one of us wouldn't be necessary in the relationship, right? The whole reason God put us together is because she is so different. She completes all the areas that I'm weak and lacking. And it's, it's a marvelous thing. Husbands, you need to understand that your wives are different than you. They think differently. They operate differently. They respond differently. And until you understand that, then that wall of your, of your godly home is gone. And there's going to be nothing but strife and brokenness and hurt and damage. You need to get that wall up and you need to begin investing in understanding your wife. Now... Our wives are different from us in many different ways. They are different physically from us. Um, the skeletal frame of a woman is different than a man's. Uh, the heart rate of a woman is different than the heart rate of a man. It's just, it just is. Our blood makeup, a woman's blood makeup, has more water in the blood and less red, red blood cells. Without that, all of those red blood cells to bring oxygen she can tire easier than I. If I don't understand that, we're going to be hauling logs out of the house for the firewood heating season, and I'm going to be like, Melissa, can't you keep up? You got red blood cells like me? Get going I, But if I'm understanding her, man, I'm not going to be having to trudge through the woods getting branches and sticks for wood fires and things like that. But I'll tell you what, we can husbands, we can so treat our wives wrong because we just don't get it. We don't understand it. Um, emotionally? Emotionally, we are so completely different. Um, take anything, for instance, any area of her life. Melissa asked me to go to, sh- to go shopping and get something. Emotionally, I'm like, okay, I'm going to conquer this. I'm going to get it. I'm going to get it the fastest anybody's ever gotten it. I'm not going to look twice. I'm not going to talk to anybody on my way. And so I go and I conquer. She'll be like, go pick something up. I don't care about the size, the price. I just get it. And I go home and she's like, really? That's what you got? Now, Melissa goes to get the same item. Do you know what she does? She researches. She goes to five different places. She finds the very best deal. Then she'll drive back twice to make sure she got the best deal. And then she'll go back, and then, then she'll find five other things that she knows she needs with that one thing. And then, like, four hours later, I'm like, Melissa, where are you? you were going to the store to get one thing. Where were you? She goes, oh, well, I had to then get this and this, and I talked to so-and-so and here and there. And I'm like, man, you could have told me to get that. I would have been back in 20 minutes or whatever. You know. But emotionally, this is, this is how we are wired we are just so wired to think different. I think about going and conquering and just getting, getting it accomplished. And she's thinking about all the other things that go into it and all the people that she might see and where she's going to park and what she's going to wear. And there's, there's two different outfits for Super 1. You know, you got to get the right outfit if you go get the veggies or whatever. And it's like, you know, just don't wear a bathrobe and you can go with whatever you want, whatever, it doesn't matter. Now, relationally, get this, relationally, um, being a high school teacher, I see this so often. What, what do high school girls do when they get together? They huddle really close to each other, and they're like, we, you know, and they're telling, and they're just like, you know, and it's like, all right, Am I right, Kirsten? Am I right? You know, hi, yeah, you, you like to get together, and you like to talk and tell details, and you're huddled in, and you're comforting and want to encourage one. What do the guys do when the guys get together? They're slapping and hitting and jumping on the desks, and then they're, you know, I mean, it's all physical punching, hitting, slapping, who can jump the farthest, who can do this, you know, uh, who can throw the eraser in the garbage, and, and the girls are in there going, but then she said, and he said, and they did, and it just, we, we, if listen, husbands, if you don't recognize that our wives are so different, then when she's on the phone call, or she's on a phone call relationally with people, I'm like, just say it and get done. Let's get on with our life. She's like, but this really means a lot to me. And I'm like, okay. So, communication wise, we already know this. The average woman speaks 25,000 words, the average man, 12,500. Half of our words uh, are spoken. We speak half the words. Um, direct eye contact most ladies, when they talk with somebody, give eye t- contact for 12 seconds in a conversation, most men, three seconds. We look away. and We're all all, all all over the place. And get this: they did a survey on an elementary playground. They recorded children on an elementary playground. Girls, they actually spoke with words. They spoke with words and communicated with one another with words. Boys, they found when listening to the recording, were grunting, groaning, making all sorts of you know all sorts of just noises. Like that's just that is how we communicate. Um, Melissa, she wants detail. She'll tell the same story as I will, and she'll get into detail. The weather, what people were wearing, what had happened the week before, all these things that were going on. And then I tell the story, and I'm like, two seconds later, the story's done. I'm like, I don't care what they were wearing, what they were doing. But that's just, if you don't get that, it's almost like you're on a one-lane bridge, and you're just destined to like crash up, break. And, and So what does Peter say? God says, Husbands likewise dwell. Abide with your wives with understanding. You need to get to know them. You need to study them. Do you know what? Can I tell you this right now? Here's the biggest word for the day it takes time. You've got to put time into the relationship, it takes effort. I'm never going to get to know Melissa unless I'm with her. She needs my time more than she needs anything else. She doesn't need my Bible teaching. She needs my time. That's what she needs more than anything else. Well, there's a third wall. Look at what the word of God says for the third wall. Husbands, likewise. Submission is mutual. Dwell with them with understanding. We need to understand our wives. Um, that's the second wall. The third wall of our structure. Giving honor to the wife as to the weaker vessel. The third one, honor. Husbands, men, Honor. Wives, honor your wives, honor women. You know what the word "giving honor" to them, giving honor, it means to put a price upon, to to literally make it a um, put to put well uh, worth and value upon. So I need to so give to my wife value, priceless value, honor, deepest of respect. It's the idea of being highly precious, literally. I need to treat Melissa with honor, we need to treat our wives with respect, with kindness. Which means, and I'm terrible at this now, I was better early on in a relationship, but it means opening doors for her, opening the car door. Why would I, open the, why would I go around and open the car door for her and let her get in first? Because I'm more concerned about who's, who's getting out of the hot sun or the rain. Her, right? That's giving honor. That's saying, Melissa is worthy of more than me. She gets more honor. She is precious and priceless. So I'm going to open the door and let her get in first. I will open the door and let her get into the church first. So she gets out of the elements before I do. I'm I'm just placing her before me, giving her honor, making her valued and precious. And and so I'm going to give you a few things here. Um, Be helpful, not self-centered. Be helpful. It would be easy for me every single meal with the way Melissa cooks, serves, and then clean up just to let her do it. Just to say, let her cook. That's really what she should do. I mean, she's a good cook. I'm not. She should cook then. Then she can serve me at the table because, listen, I've been working all day. I have to deal with people. You know, well, she does too. And, and, then, and then when I'm done eating, I'm like, well, that was good. But now I'm with a stomach full. I really don't feel like doing anything else. So can she get the dishes done too? Is that putting honor into my wife? No, it's not. It's not placing value on her. It's really treating her terribly, slavishly. What I need to do is I need to say, Melissa, can I help you prepare the meal? And if she says like she would probably, no, then I'll be like, okay, then I'll help put it to the table and I'll pick up the dirty dishes and wash them. Wow, would that not be making a statement to Melissa like, you know, he really does treat me well. That's the third wall. Honor. Honor your, your spouse. Honor your wife. It's, it's required. Um, big thing, comfort your wives. Don't be critical. Do you know it is so easy? Why is it easy to be critical to our wife? Be critical of our wife? Because she's our closest companion and she's, she's not leaving. I'll, t- I'll tell you what. Tell me if I'm wrong. Husbands, if you treat your wife... If you treat other people like you treat your wife, would they still be your friend? If you treat other people like you treat your wife, would other people think you're the godliest man and I want to be that man's friend? Or would they say, what a jerk, I would never talk to this guy again. Listen, our wives have to live with us. They have to dwell with us. We need to have mutual submission. We need to have understanding. And we need to have honor. We need to honor our our spouses. So comfort. Be comforting. Be encouraging. Don't be critical. And then it says here, as to the weaker vessel, listen, this is not saying our wives are weaker intellectually. As a matter of fact, they're not. Oftentimes, women are are far superior in mathematics and sciences and and languages and arts and all of those things. It's not saying that wives are inferior emotionally. Because often, if you look at my emotion state, emotional state and Melissa's, she's far more stable. She's far more stable and far more understanding emotionally with people. Um, and it doesn't mean that women are weaker, um, not only intellectually, not only emotionally, but spiritually. It does not mean that they're spiritually weaker. Most women that are believers are strong Christians. Strong in the word, strong in prayer, strong in testimony. It's the guys that need to step up in that area. It really is. So what is it? I think the weaker vessel is simply a physiological thing, like I was talking about. We're different physically. We're, it's just the way that God has created us. He has not created men and women to function the same way. We are equal, but we don't fun- function the same way. I like what Matthew Henry says. Matthew Henry said, Woman was not taken out of man's head so that she would rule over him. He was um, woman was not taken from the feet to be trampled by the man, but woman was taken from the side to be his equal. She was taken from under his arm to be protected by him, and she was taken from near his heart to be loved by him. And that is really what honor is all about. It's not about fighting for position, fighting for control. It's really loving and putting value into the other one. Here's the fourth wall. 1 Peter 3.7, husbands, likewise, in mutual submission, dwell with them with understanding. Just really get to know your wife, understand her deepest parts. And then giving honor to the wife, that's the third wall, honor as to the weaker vessel. Here's the fourth wall, as being heirs together of the grace of life. Coming together as heirs together. This is the third wall, or the fourth wall, companionship. Literally cooperation, you're in it together. Your greatest and most closest companion should be your spouse. It needs to be your spouse. Companionship. Companionship, to be heirs together, the key word is together, it's going to take time. You you spend your best times together. Most of our time is busy working and doing other things for other people. But we need to make time during the week, the best of our time, to be together at some point. Our best time cannot always be for others. It's got to be for each other. Because if we don't have a strong relationship, a strong marriage, then we don't have this strong fortress of godliness, and then everything else doesn't really matter. So it's companionship, the fourth wall, as heirs together of the grace of life. The grace of life could be physical. It could be on a physical level. You are heirs together of the grace of life. You have food together. You sleep together. You have a house together. You have a marriage together. You have children together. So that could be the grace of life, or the grace of life could be a spiritual thing. The grace of life could be eternal life. You and your spouse are joint heirs of spiritual things, spiritual heaven, of heaven, and spiritual eternal life, all of those things. And if you're a believing husband and wife, then both are true. You share all of those physical life things, a home, cars, children, grandchildren, but you also have the spiritual inheritance of Christ and eternal life. So we are heirs together. By the way, an heir, if you're an heir together, it means you both have the same father. So when I think of Melissa, I have to look at her not just as my wife. I need to look at her as a daughter of the heavenly king. And that puts a whole different perspective. I could treat my wife any way I want to treat her because it's America, right? It's America. I'm a man. I can treat her however I want. That's not true. She is a daughter of the most high king. Right? So companionship, cooperation, working together to serve the Lord. And then here's the roof, because doesn't every house have to have a roof? What happens if you don't have a roof? Then it, uh, all the rain and the storm comes into the house and creates devastation and destruction. I think the roof is prayer. Look at the last phrase, that your prayers may not be hindered. You know, our prayers are the spiritual blessing that God pours upon our family. And so I want to ask you even if, if prayer is the roof that really keeps out all the storm and elements of life, um, do you pray? Men, do you pray? Not just for food, but do you pray? Do you ever get down on your knees, men, and just pray and say, Father, bless my wife, watch over her, protect her heart? She's got enemies, she's got people that want to take her down. She's frustrated and she's hurt. And Lord, strengthen her today give me a kind word help me to be an encouragement help me to give her a verse help me to show her that I really do love her like you love her and that's my goal I mean husbands we need to pray and does God answer prayer of what kind of man God answers the fervent prayer of a righteous man because that avails much right so husbands we need to pray first and, can I say this, if you, if you have one of those walls that are not intact, if there's not mutual submission, if there's not understanding, if there's not honor, if there's not companionship, then the roof doesn't stay on and your prayers are interrupted. Literally, the word that your prayers may be hindered, it's the same word used for blowing up a road to stop an army from advancing. And if there's one thing Satan wants to do, he wants to interrupt our, our communication with the Father. And the way he's going to do that is, husbands, you are not mutually submitting. You're not giving your, laying your life down for your wife on a daily basis. You're not understanding her. You're not giving her honor. You're not her companion like you need to be. And if you, if you don't do those, if you avoid any of those responsibilities, then God literally says, you can pray all you want and I will not hear you. You can pray, you can call upon my name all day and I will not listen. says it. And, but if we have everything intact and we're striving to honor the Lord in our homes, can you imagine what God could do? Oh, there's no end to what God can do. He does above, abundantly beyond what we ask or think. So let me give you some just quick applications. Number one, the foundation of this whole structure is on the gospel. Place your faith in Jesus Christ alone. Don't be adding works and religion, but trust Jesus death for your sins and resurrection. And then you have this new nature and you have this new power and you have new desires and your home can have some transformation. That's what transforms your home right there, that foundation. And then secondly, if you avoid any of these walls, then your prayers are interrupted and God literally can, cannot do anything. And then the damage of the world just seeps into every crack and comes into the house. So here it is. Men, give more time to your wife She wants your time, not your treasures. Number two, be be more comforting than critical. Just comfort your wife, love her, cherish her, don't be so critical. And the third thing, be a servant, don't be selfish. Don't be be selfish for your own desires, what you want to do, what you want to buy, where you want to go, what you want to do. be servant hearted like Jesus, take off that robe, get down, and wash your wife 's feet literally or metaphorically, either way, but for sure metaphorically, um, that when you do that, you know what the world 's going to see? The world is going to glor- someday hopefully glorify God in the day of visitation, because your conduct is honorable in the home, and people see us, people see us all the time they 're watching our homes. There's one other area of submission. We've got society with the government. We've got slaves to masters, which is our workplace. We've got the home, wives and husbands. One more place of submission. Where is it? The church. So tonight, I'm going to give you five quick words before our quarterly business meeting, which by the way, we're going to have a great quarterly business meeting. God is doing some amazing things even during this pandemic. Incredible things. So I'm going to share and update you with all those things and some future plans. So that'll be tonight, but before that, I'm going to give you five, five words that Peter says, God says through Peter. All right, church, now here's your turn to submit to one another. And I don't want you to miss them, but you'll find them in chapter 3, verse 8. But there it is, God's word. Amen. Let's pray. Thank you, Father, for this time and for the example and purpose of marriage that our lives, our marriages, should reflect the great gospel of Jesus Christ. And I pray that we each, listening to this message, would build godly homes on the gospel, but that we would, as men, as husbands, submit, have that mutual submission, that we would have understanding, honor, and deep companionship with our spouse. And may you be glorified and build up our homes, that we, not only would we have a strong home, That would make our neighborhoods strong. And because our neighborhoods are strong, our state would be strong. And because our our state is strong, then our country could be strong. And then because our country is strong, the gospel could go throughout this world. That's what we want, Father. We want Christ glorified. And it's going to begin in our home. And it's going to begin right now. Thank you again, Father, for the good news of of the gospel and the teaching of your word. May you be honored and glorified all the days of our lives. Amen. Well, God bless you, faith. Look forward to seeing you later today. Have a great day.